This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to another episode of the Crown Cast, and it is a Wednesday cast for our first win of the season. Uh, my co-host, Justin, as always. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How's it going? So you have this theory going on that I hate. I'll be really honest with you. You're <laughs> calling it a transition. Uh, not a transition. You're calling it a tradition. Tradition, transition, words sure. in English language. Uh, that we can only win on the fourth game of the season. And I want to be very clear, that is a terrible tradition, but I, I am happy we won to at least start it off. Yeah, uh, uh, I I will say I didn't necessarily expect us to take the points in this one. So, you know, I'm glad to see it. Uh, but yeah, uh, first season, first three games, uh, losses, chances to take victories, but but we didn't manage some really bad losses in those first three games, first season. Yeah, I, I try to forget them. First three honest. games this season, some really bad losses. Yep. Some uh, where we should have maybe taken some points. It's only a tradition because it looks like a tradition. Yeah. I'm not on board. I do not support. I'm going to go ahead and throw my full weight behind the we should win every single game. In fact, I'm going to predict that we win every single game. That's how much I want it to happen. I am going to move on really quick, and I'm going to ask you a question, Justin, and that is, as we talk about this Orlando recap, it's important to maybe acknowledge that it wasn't a great game for Charlotte FC. The result is maybe a little flattering to us, but it's a result nonetheless, in your opinion, how important was getting the result over the process here? Look, ask St. Louis that got handed three points by Charlotte in St. Louis if they care that they got handed the three points. No, they don't. You care about the three points. And it may not have been a great match overall. It was a pretty good first half. It was we a were, very good first we half. Were Thrilling in the first half. We were exciting. I think we can panic about that a little later. Harrison Awful had a great opportunity in the second half. Wrong post. Should have had a third. Uh, I, I do think it's right for us to go ahead and shout out a couple names we didn't get to shout out in the post-react. If you haven't listened to the post-react, go back and listen to that because it's super good. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be completely, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-promoting there? Yeah. Self, yeah. It's it's really good. Believe me, I did it. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, I'm, I'm going to shout out George Marks who yeah. I think had a spectacular game. He made some amazing saves. I think he deserves to get his flowers, as the kids say. And beyond that, I think we have to talk about Harrison Awful just super briefly. This is a guy we have given a lot of uh, questions to. Uh, we have had we've, a lot of questions for. We have been mean to Harrison Awful. We have Awful. been mean to Harrison Awful. Um, but out of love. You know, uh, it's it's tough love that we've been mean to Harrison Awful. And he had a really good game. So I think it is, it's worth our time to just quickly say Harrison Awful and George Marks didn't get a crown because there were not enough crowns to give out. Uh, I think they deserve one. Is there anything you want to say on those two really quick? No, I mean, uh, you know, phenomenal performances from both of them. I think uh, one of the things that goes a little unrecognized for George Marks is the back line. And I don't know if this is Marks or if this is awful or what, but the back line looked better this week. The back line is more organized, which my instinct is to attribute that primarily to the keeper organizing his defense more effectively. See, weirdly, my instinct was to attribute it to Harrison Awful, which I think he was the one that sort of got to go fishing into the midfield more than asking Adilson Milanda to do it. Uh, but you're right, it does ultimately come back to that to the person organizing it all. Let's go into the goals, because yeah. we always do that. Uh, the first one is the Capetti goal. Second goal 
of the the year for for Capetti, two goals in four games. I'm, Second goal, discounting own goal scored against us. Second goal of the year for Charlotte FC in general. Yeah. Um, Both Enzo Copetti so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nice one. This it's, is It's pretty good. This is traditional, classic, mom spaghetti version of Route 1 football. This is Jalen Lindsay with a ball over the top that, I mean, it's beautifully weighted. Uh, it, you know, he looks up and just sees that the run is coming and, and puts him puts the ball out there far enough away from the keeper that he's not going to be able to come out and get it and over the back line. And honestly, Capetti and Gaines both have a shot at this. They both make good runs past the back line. I'm happier that Enzo, you know, calls McKenzie off. Not, no, That's a polite way to put it. Yeah. Bullies McKenzie off. Uh, but, but Enzo just takes this down and uh, does – what Enzo Capetti does, we talked in the preseason, we talked if we watched his tape when he got signed by Charlotte, this is what he's good at. Takes the ball over the top, takes a touch, slots it past the keeper. Everything you could want from a striker and looks like a striker who that moment played to his strengths and he made it look good because of that. Yeah, uh, it was really, really good. It was, it was, like you said, it was Route 1. It was what we expected Enzo Capetti to be able to do. I mean, it, it really sounds reductive to to bring it down to that base level, but ultimately it does all come from an incredible ball up the field from uh, Jalen Lindsay out on that right side. And Jalen Lindsay is a name you're probably going to hear us talk about a lot upcoming this episode, episodes beyond now, because either he's going to be playing and he's going to repeat this process, or he's not going to be playing well, I say he could be playing and not repeat this process, in which case we're going to be talking about him. Or he could be not playing, and we're going to be asking why he's not getting a chance to repeat this process. Yep. He looks devastating in offense. He is such a good passer of the ball over the long ball, and it is going to continue to benefit uh, Enzo Capetti, Kerwin Vargas, McKenzie Ben Bender, Mackenzie Gaines. Up there. Yeah. It's going to continue to benefit us, the fans, uh, because it just looks good. It provides offensive threat, and that is what we want. Uh, the second goal in this one is a Kerwin Vargas goal. I am going to sort of discuss this Kerwin Vargas goal in in mirror to a time I was frustrated with someone who left the pitch for this game, and uh, that is Carol Swiderski, who, congratulations, we'll talk about in the news. But Carol Swiderski was on the right, and those of you who listened to the pod- some of the earlier podcasts he had this moment where he cut inside to the box and he'd beaten his man, which again, we said was amazing because everybody knew what he was going to do. And he still got, he still did it. That's even, that's saying something when everyone knows what's coming and you still do it well done. But he got into this exact same space where Kerwin Vargas gets into. He got into that angled off the goal, just inside the 18 has the space to get on his favorite foot and take a shot. And wingers want this place if you go to any winger in the world and you say what are the three places in the the uh on the field you most want to get you know a step on your man in all of them are pointing to this spot maybe one of them points to the end line first because they're an end line guy but all of them point to this spot Kerwin Vargas there's no hesitation he cuts the ball inside he gets one step on his man he puts his laces through it it takes a little deflection but as we talked about in the post react it's still an earned goal by Kerwin Vargas. Uh, he puts his laces through it, and it finds the back of the net. And I like 
Kerwin Vargas. He is fast, he is attacking, he is willing to take the shot, he has the threat up the line, he has the threat uh, to dribble 1v1, he has shots in his locker, and as you have alluded to previously, he also has the curling ball to the far post. Mm -hmm. This is classic, traditional, off-the-left danger winger play, and I want to see more of it. Is there something that that we need to, to say more on this? No, I mean, you know, I would just stress that especially in the more modern game and especially in, I think, the system that Christian Latanzio comes from, that left winger really is sort of your second striker. He's is your second goal creator. And if Kerwin Vargas is the guy who can create goals over there, then Kerwin Vargas, everybody's better on the left. Everyone's, Everyone's better on the left. This is the merch that's going to be coming from Crowncast. There's going to be a there is no preseason, and there's going to be a there. Everyone's better on the left. Yep. Um, but but I don't know I that think, you can. I sit. think there's also going to be a mug for me that just says "Tell me if I'm crazy," because <laughs> um, I realize I say that a lot. But but I don't know how you could sit Kerwin down after that performance. He uh, was, you can't, can you? I mean, I don't I think mean, you can sit Jalen Lindsay down, but I think he, he might sit Jalen Lindsay yeah. down. Uh, let's move on to Orlando's goal, uh, and I'm going to let you talk about that one. Yeah, so so the, we're into the second half now. We're into the 56th minute. We've had another great opportunity. Uh, Harrison Awful rang the post. You know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, we get caught a little bit in transition here. We get caught with a long ball over the top. Unfortunately, I think that Bill Toyloma is in a perfect position to cover it, to clear it, and he takes a swing and he just misses the clear. It's not the easiest clear in the world. This is a ball coming in over his shoulder. You know, it, he, his back is to the ball. It's coming in over his shoulder from way up in the air. It's a tough one to time. But he's a center back in Major League Soccer. I expect him to be able to, to do that. Um, because he misses it, there's a scramble. He and Adilson Melanda end up running into each other, knocking each other over. Um, nobody else can, can really get back. There's... A great save from George Marks off of the first shot. Yep. But, you know, Harrison Awful's in the box, but Harrison Awful was going in to try and cut out the first shot. Uh, I don't think you can fault him for not being able to get back, change direction, and immediately stop uh, uh, to, to cover the rebound. I don't think that you can put a lot on George Marks because this first shot comes in from very close. Yep. And Marks has a phenomenal reaction time just to get a hand to it and knock it down. And they get the, the rebound. They get the tap in. This is this is on Bill Tuiloma. I, I will say I think you're being more polite about it than I am. Uh, a ball over the shoulder on a run back defense, especially on a team that is used to playing high up pressure. I say is used to playing high up pressure like Charlotte FC is used to playing <laughs> this. Like we didn't just pull it out of thin air four weeks ago and decide that we were going to do this. Um, uh, for those of you out there who may not have been following Charlotte FC, uh, about four weeks ago, we pulled out of thin air the fact that we were going to play super high offensive uh, <laughs> pressure soccer, and uh, and we're still working out the kinks. Uh, no, I, I I think I have to put a lot of this on, on Bill Tuiloma. Yeah. Uh, I think if you take any center back in the MLS and you give them that ball, 99 times out of 100, it is cleared with no problems. I mean, just absolutely like like you're eating lunch at work kind of problem. And probably 999 times out of 1,000, it's cleared with like a minor hiccup at worst. Yeah, um, I mean, this ball should have been out for a corner. Yeah, should have been should have been out. Um, not to kill the guy. Uh, you know, I talked in the, in the post-react about 
I have some concerns that maybe this is becoming a string of events for Bill Tuiloma. I think he's got time to turn that bus around. I'm not, I'm not saying he's, he's gone or the, the vote is out on him. He's got, he's got time to bet himself in, but he has not started on the best foot. Uh, I, I do think we have to talk about transitions yeah. in this game. Uh, we went into the post-react, and Josh tried to card the entire team <laughs> for their transitions. And uh, sadly, Josh is not with us today, so we get to talk everything for him. Everything that we are saying is definitely what Josh would have said. Uh, you can quote all of this as Josh's statements. <laughs> Transition in football is... 150% the most dangerous and the most exciting time in the game. I think probably somewhere around the, the realm of 70% of goals that go in in this sport across the world are transition-oriented, right? When teams are set, when defenses are in their lines, when they're in their planned systems, there are somewhere around the number of 5 to 10 teams in the world that are effective enough to break down what we call a low block, right? And if you give anyone enough time on defense, they will eventually come back into a low block, right? Even if they are spread out all the way on the other side of the pitch, if you give them 45 seconds, they will get back to their low block. And low blocks are hard to break. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that only the best teams in the world can break them. And there's a reason that teams that are nowhere near the level of competitiveness as the, the Manchester Cities, the Real Madrids, go out and play these guys and sometimes get results by just sticking 11 men in their 18-yard box and hoping for a break counter, right? Transitions are dangerous, and I don't think we have seen this team effectively manage them. It looked pretty broken. I kind of want to you know, ask you a question, Justin, and that is I don't see this team set for transitions. I see this team very alive when we get the ball. Great. I see them ready to run up. I see them ready to attack. I see them ready to throw all, all hands to guns. And I see not a lot of, yeah, but what if this goes wrong? Are you seeing the same thing? I mean, do they look like they're set and ready for transitions to go the bad way? Or do they look like they're kind of all hands to the guns? No, I mean, I, I don't think that they're set for transitions. I think a lot of the goals that we have conceded this season, you think about the one against New England, you think about, you know, the first and the third against Atlanta, you think, unfortunately, about the the uh, last one against St. Louis. Um, it's not just the transition, but it's where on the pitch the transition begins, where we are turning the ball over for transition in a area of the field that doesn't give us an opportunity to react to it. If you turn the ball over in the space between midfield and the opponent's 18, you probably have a reasonable chance of getting back, even if you're caught a little out of shape. If you turn the ball over in the space between your 18 and midfield, your, your teammates are already pushing up to support the attack. Your teammates are already trying to find the space for those passes. If you make bad passes in those areas, which we have, you get caught, you get broken against, and very quickly, and a lot of these are, are one or at most two pass, you know, transitions and counterattacks against us that catch us out. Uh, not necessarily against Orlando, but that doesn't mean that there weren't transition opportunities that weren't snuffed out by brilliant 1v1 play or, you know, excellent defending. 
So I, I think that we are good in transition if we turn the ball over in not crazy dangerous areas. We just seem to be turning the ball over a lot in very dangerous areas. If you think about where Swiderski gave up the ball against New England, the dangerous whole position. team streaming yep. forward, and you give up the ball in a position where one pass takes the whole team out. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna weigh in here because I think there's uh, there's what I call linkers and stretchers in teams. There's people who should be moving to stretch the field, especially you know they should be alive to that transition play. These are the Enzo Capetti's, right? You could argue that these are the maybe the Nuno. We've seen Nuno sort of playing that free swinging role where he can go wherever he wants. Maybe free swinging isn't the right way to say that. <laughs> um, but there should be linkers. Yeah. Right. And I would expect that of Brant Bronico. Yes. Right. Brant Bronico is that midfield engine who can support the attack when the attack is on, but I would expect him to be one of the pieces who is alive and is linking the team together even when things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. And so hey, maybe actually this, I might be talking myself into changing my things to watch for this later, <laughs> but I don't think we're doing that well. And I'm not sure it is a system problem. I think it is we have a lot of players in the midfield who want to go to the ball who want to move with the attack. And it takes a lot of skill, it takes a lot of restraint, and it takes a lot of, you know, sort of game IQ to be that linker, the one who holds up the team. And to your point, I think we lost one in Ashley Westwood. Yeah, although I will say I think that Westwood has done a better job with the long passes. I expected him to operate more in those tight spaces. Mm -hmm. And he has... But I don't know that he's doing as much of that as I expected. I don't know if he's doing as much of that linking and and moving in the midfield. I think he's doing more of the spraying the ball out to the wings, looking for the through ball to Capetti, things like that. See, I want your opinion on this, and then we'll start to move along because we don't want to take up all the time today. I I see him as, as holding that space down, and then once he has that space down, he's releasing that long ball. But he's not giving up that space. Um, and that might be why he's not doing as much sort of... Sure, but he's not doing the sort of the tiki-taka short passing that opens that the small space yeah. in the area immediately around him. He's doing an excellent job of getting his head up and finding the big spaces ahead to pass to. Um, I'd be interested to see... You know, we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I'd be interested to see if, if Nuno gets the start this weekend in that midfield, mm-hmm. you know, what he can do you know, it's gonna for be, that. It's going to be Ben Bender. We all know it in our hearts. <laughs> the now short-haired Ben Bender. Um, I'm going to move us along because I think there's an important thing that has been building over the team, and that's the right-back position. Yep. Um, I, I think it's pretty clear at this point that what is being asked of our right-back is to be an attacking somewhat inside, although I think Jalen Lindsay played it more effectively to the outside, uh, move up the field, create long balls, give transition opportunities, player. Yep. And I think it is a reasonable statement at this point in time to say this style that is being asked is part of why I think we can expect Jalen Lindsay to continue to look pretty good and also part of why I think Nathan Byrne has looked really bad. This suits one of their games, and I will give you a hint, it's not Nathan Byrne. Yeah, I I also think that that right-back 
is responsible for a lot of the high pressing that we're doing on that wing. And I think the part of that is Mackenzie Gaines and Carol Swiderski are not pressing wingers. They're not getting up there. You know, we talked about transition. One of the ways that we have been effective, it hasn't necessarily led to a ton of goals or anything yet this season, but we have gotten chances from the high press, from forcing the same kind of turnovers that we've given up and they've turned into goals of the other team. Jalen did a very good job of that against Orlando. He got up the field into winger-like positions as a part of that high press and then still managed to track back and cover defensively as effectively as Nathan Byrne has been covering (laughs) defensively on that right back spot. Not not a super high bar there. But you need that kind of energy if you're going to ask the right back to step up and high press like that and, and be involved in... You know, not just the high press, but the buildup going up that wing. Um, and I think as long as we've got guys like Mackenzie Gaines and Carol Swiderski starting at the right wing, we're going to still need that energy and that presence. I think the only way you get away from that is, and I don't necessarily think this is a bad idea, but moving a player like Kemal Yuzwiak into the right wing space to provide that kind of pressure and that kind of energy. I know that he hasn't necessarily provided the service, but if he can break up the play and Kerwin can service from the left, there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, there is a lot of value in that. We, uh, I have one more question for you that's not on, on the script. So uh, forgive me, I know I'm going off book a little bit. All right. All right, and that is people are gonna ask, so we have to have an answer. Is this the beginning of the end for the Polish boys? I think that there is still space for Kemal Juzwiak in this side. I think that he's shown before that he is roughly equally effective from the right and the left. I don't know that that is necessarily praise. Yeah. I think that's just sort <laughs> I think of there's factual. a lot of people who would say that that's a bad thing. Um, I love the motor on Kamal Yuzviak. I love how hard he runs and how hard he tries to contribute to this team. And I think that I still firmly believe that he will come good in this side. I think it is more dangerous for Karol Swiderski. I think he is a more talented individual player. I think he was a guy that Miguel Angel Ramirez wanted. I don't know that he's necessarily a guy that Christian Latanzio can find the right place for. Yeah. Uh, I will sort of lead in here. There were a lot of lineup changes for this one. Obviously, the two Polish boys, uh, long-held stalwarts in the system, come out. Yep. Uh, Not super good for them that the first game they're not uh, starting, we win. Uh, it, it's just one of those things that no matter what the actual reasoning behind the doors is, the optics are bad, right? Yep. Um, Latanzio does go on. He says, I made the changes because we played three games and we gave certain players an opportunity to play. I think it's only fair to give other players opportunities when things don't work the way we would like them to work. I think that is a very fair uh, statement from Christian Latanzio to the point that it is almost too equal like <laughs> I think it's pretty damning for a player like Carol Swiderski because I think given some of the quotes that he's given in post game pressers earlier in the year you know after the the New England match you got him to you got talking to him and he said that he moved Swiderski to the right wing because he felt like it was important to try and keep him on the pitch but he wasn't being effective at the 10 and then they got 
a couple of starts at the right wing. And yes, he has the assist on the goal in St. Louis, but he wasn't very effective on the right wing. And then we make another change, and we put two goals past an Orlando side that, on paper at least, looked better than us. Yeah. It looks bad for Carroll. It does. It looks it looks a lot worse than I thought it would, a lot faster than I thought it would. Um, another one it doesn't look particularly good for is Andre Shinishiki, who had a couple of opportunities in a relatively strong lineup. And I say a relatively strong lineup. Obviously, we didn't win those games. So no mm-hmm. matter where you attribute that to, another guy who had his run in the team didn't produce, came out of the team, and immediately we produced... And it, it's just another place where the optics aren't great. Thoughts on him? I mean, uh, I love Andre. I, I'm beginning to wonder if his role, though, is the super sub guy. I wonder if he is, you know, here in, in MLS, Chicharito is a starter right now for LA Galaxy. But for years, he was the guy. He was the super sub guy for Manchester United. Was you know, There's value in that. Oleg and Solskjaer did it for United. You know, we've seen it where the guy that can come off the bench and immediately provide threat in that last 20 minutes of a match when you need a goal, that can be incredibly valuable. Uh, I hope that Andre finds you know, his groove. I think there's a chance that if Latanzia still wants to play a more traditional 10 this weekend against uh, New York Red Bull, Andre might find himself there. Andre might see another opportunity to play the 10. Um, but... I don't think it looks great for him. I, I think that you're starting to see some of the other players who maybe haven't necessarily gotten their shot yet. They've been given the the barest opening of the door, and they're shoving it open. Yeah, absolutely, and it's good to see. Uh, we are going to go ahead, and we are going to take a quick break, and we'll come back to you after the break with all sorts of cool news, with some maybe, maybe some cool new content stuff that you might be excited to hear about. Uh, And then we'll get into all the stuff you're used to, as well as a preview for uh, New York Red Bulls. And we'll be back right after this. Do you love podcasts? You're listening to one right now, so we're going to say you do. You know what makes podcast listening better? A really great set of earbuds nestled snugly into your appropriate head holes. You could win a really great set of earbuds courtesy of the Queen City Podcast Network. A set of Bose noise-canceling quiet comfort earbuds, a $200 value, could be all yours. And all you have to do is sign up to receive the Queen City Podcast Network email newsletter at queencitypodcastnetwork.com between now and April 16th, 2023. You heard me. Sign up to receive a twice-weekly email about all the latest Queen City Podcast Network releases. And you're entered in a drawing where you could win the earbuds of a lifetime. The rules are published at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. That's also where you sign up for the drawing. queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Your ticket to great listening with a great set of earbuds. Uh, For those of you out there who don't work in podcasting, that break right there, don't get me wrong, sometimes we go get a coffee, uh, sometimes we, uh, you know, do some calculus for fun. Sometimes it's a completely different day. Sometimes it's a totally different day, right? This You don't know when this is. This could be 2021 <laughs> now. Uh, but most of the time, most of the time, it's just us going dramatic pause, looking at each other, making sure we're all ready to go again, and then going again. Uh, and that's pretty much what's happened. But we added a little a little bit of spice into this one, and that's we have a guest. His name is Christian. Hello, Christian. What's up? What's up, guys? What's up, guys? 
Uh, so you are here for two very special reasons today. Yes. The first of which is we have some cool stuff to announce. We have a robot. That's right. If you were... Uh, to be clear, Christian is not the robot. <laughs> that is... that. I well, wish. honestly, our, <laughs> we, we think Christian is not a robot. Uh, <laughs> he's a mean got, robot, he's, you know what I'm saying? I got good moves. He's got a good dance there. Yeah. Um, if you have ever been six years old and you wanted a robot that you designed and had your name on it and was super cool and went around and greeted people, we have one of those. So the six-year-old in me is excited. We have a crown cast partnered with Tiny Mile Robot that you can find just wandering around Charlotte and here to both tell us about what this robot does and also help us introduce a new segment of our show is Christian. Christian, really quick, what is a Tiny Mile Robot? Why is it the coolest thing you can find in the city? And how can people find Tiny Mile? Uh, so if you frequent Uptown a lot, um, you more so than likely have seen a bunch of little pink robots driving around. Um, those are our robots, Tiny Mile. We're a company that's technically based in Canada, but we operate in the U.S., in Charlotte and Miami. Um, so what we do is deliveries, which is kind of obvious when you see the robots. They have little lids that open and close. Um, so we do, we do deliveries, and we also do promotions. So kind of like what Logan was just talking about, we have um, a Crowncast promotion. Um, if anybody's interested, your business, or you just want to go get a coffee, um, that's really what our bots are for. Um, and they do a, a bunch of cool things, right? So they have cameras on them. They have voice audio prompts. Um, we do a bunch of cool events. Like we had a Valentine's Day event this year. Um, we're planning on having other events. And, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. The robots are simple, but they're very cool. And um, they're only getting better by the day. Uh, so if people wanted to find this Tiny Mile delivery system, is there an app? Is there a website? Where should they go? There's both, actually. So um, we just launched the iOS app. Um, just type in Tiny Mile on the App Store, and you'll find that, and then you can get your deliveries there. And we also have a website, so it'll be tinymile.ai. So you go to that site, and just like the app, you can get your deliveries done there. And then there's about about us and uh, all the questions you might have, the answers are on there. Awesome. With that super cool robot, there are going to be some giveaways. So uh, stay tuned. Probably uh, all the details on giveaways are going to come out next week, but I think we're going to call it Spot the Bot. So if you are in Uptown, try and find it. Take a picture now. Spot the bot. Um, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and we're going to move into a, a new sector. Christian, you enjoy soccer. Uh, you played when you were really young. Yes, sir. But you are not an avid watcher of the game. And you, like so many others, just found out that there's an MLS team in Charlotte. <laughs> right. So many people uh, are huge sports fans, and then they find out that soccer has come to Charlotte. And they're like, do I want to be a part of this? How do I support this? What, what don't I know? If you're a project manager, what are the unknown unknowns, <laughs> right? So Justin had this idea to ask some, some simple questions. Uh, so you have some questions for us today that hopefully Justin and I are going to be able to answer. Do you want to fire away with one of those? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So um, like you said, my soccer experience isn't that, that large. I've only played a little bit of... Uh, Will Ferrell kicking and screaming soccer. Uh, so my first question is, with that being said, um, like nobody, none of my peers play soccer. I'm like the only – anytime I bring it up, I'm the only guy that's ever played it. So my first question is, why do you think that soccer is not as um, popular in the States that it, like it is in, around the world, really? 
Justin, you wanna you wanna rock paper scissors for who gets to answer this one first? Sure. Rock one, paper two, scissors three, shoot. shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Ha I won. I'm glad we did that in two, because otherwise we would have had to cut it. We wouldn't want you to just sit there and listen to us play rock, paper, scissors. Um, I'm going to give my answer, and then I'm sure Justin is going to have have some thoughts. Uh, I'll be really honest. I feel very strongly uh, that in the United States, there is a privilege factor to soccer. Um, soccer's not cheap in the United States, which is remarkable, because it's the most cheap sport you can play literally anywhere else in the world, right? All of the best footballers in the world come from places where they are playing in favelas, right? Come from places where they have torn apart soccer balls playing on uh, ripped up basketball courts with badly strung together pipe goals. Um, I have seen this personally myself in Argentina. Um, you know, the most joyous football footballing kids I have ever met were were 13, 14-year-old Argentinian kids who were playing with a, a shredded ball, and they had to gather up their essentially little pocket money they had between the, the 12 of them to go and rent this crappy court for an hour to play with their friends, and they loved this game. It ran through their souls. Soccer in the United States is a cash grab. Like, I played soccer, and I was very fortunate that, you know, now as I grow up and I'm an adult, I realize how much my parents did for me that I could pursue this game. Um, my fees to play not school soccer, just the, the lowest level of club, were hundreds of dollars a season. And then I had to pay for uniforms, you know, you're traveling long distances to play against other clubs. Uh, it would not surprise me if it was a, a five-plus-thousand-dollar endeavor every year, you know, not including whatever they had to pay for hotel rooms for me to play the lowest level of club soccer. Soccer is expensive in the United States, and it is expensive in a way that is, is holding people out who are incredibly talented athletes. And you know where those incredibly talented athletes go? They go down to their local basketball court, right? How many people do you see in the NBA started with nothing? How many people uh, grew up when it was raining outside and had nothing else to do, and they had one basketball they'd managed to pick up, and they went down and they played pickup with their friends, and they gained these skills over the years? There are none of those players in the United States. No one is that person in the United States. Go to any other country in the world, those kids aren't going to play basketball. They're going to play soccer. And it's, uh, it's, it's a different place here that I hope for the future of, of American soccer, American football, uh, American soccer, because when you say American football, you're actually referencing the NFL. Uh, for the future of American soccer, I hope those entry barriers to the game come down. You want to Yeah. Do you think that us having American football has anything to do with that? Just like culture-wise, like it just doesn't even leave a place for it's, football? It's definitely another competitor to the market, mm. right? Um, anytime there are more options, there is less market share for whatever the other thing is. Right. Uh, so I definitely think it has an effect, but I think a, a lot of a lot of what we see is is based on how expensive it is to play. Justin, thoughts on this one? Well, I mean, I, I think you're right, Christian, about American football has the kind of tiering and support system for kids coming up 
that soccer doesn't have in this country. You know, you, you've got from peewee into youth into, you know, your school programs and their high school football programs that spend more money on their games than some colleges. Uh, and then, you know, the, the big D1 universities. So if you are a football player, an American football player is identified young as someone who is talented in this, you're going to get shepherded through the same way in other countries kids are shepherded through the youth soccer system until they become professional footballers. Um, so there is a piece of that. I, I think there's also a piece that, that just, I think there is a, a cultural bias, a mentality in the United States that like, I hear it from people in my family, from my, from friends who don't necessarily get it, that look at it and go, well, they can play 90 minutes and nobody scores a goal. And how is that exciting? Nobody scores the entire game. How is that exciting? We're, we're not, attuned to that as American fans a lot of the time because basketball, baseball, American football, it is so incredibly rare to have something that ends 0-0. Nobody scores. It is not that rare in football. It's not that rare for a draw to happen in football. Americans seem to have trouble too with the idea of he played a whole game and nobody wins. Uh, I think the other thing is is there is a perception of the game as as the it's a soft game because a lot of the compilation video stuff like that that you see online are of people flopping. It's a problem in the sport. We know it. There are people who flop for Charlotte FC. There are people who flop all over the place in MLS. You'll see a lot of those this weekend when New York Red Bull come to town. Um, and we're going to – we do have to deal with that. There is a perception that there there is a lot of flopping in the sport, and I think it stops people from giving it the opportunity to – to pique their interest. Yeah, I think that's a, a a pretty good brief overview. I mean, there's obviously a lot of factors, like you said. There are other sports here, too. Mm-hmm. But I, I think those are some of them we feel fairly strongly about. Okay. Yeah. I wish more people did play soccer, though. For my limited time playing, it's very, very fun sport. Mm, it's a great workout. There's a, a lot of places around town. Uh, if you still have any interest, there's a lot of places around town that can, you know, get you back in at any different level of, you know, there are literally beer league soccer leagues out there where the the standard to entry, the required athleticism is very low, but the fun factor is very high. Yep. Uh, you have one more question for us. I'm going to go ahead and get you into that one. Yes, sir. Um, so with my little knowledge that I do have of soccer, uh, the position of striker has always been the one that's interests me the most. When I played, I played goalie. I was alright, but I didn't like it that much. So, um, I just want to ask you guys: What do you think makes um, like a top level striker the top level? Because of course, if you're scoring all the points, you're probably going to get all the, you know, fame and glory. Yeah. Um, the the most important thing that makes a good striker is scoring a lot of goals, which is reductive and easy, and mm-hmm. but. There are a lot of different things that can make a good striker. You can have great strikers who are really good at heading the ball, that, that have the ability to position themselves inside the box to receive a cross, get lots of air on a jump, and just, you know, it's one orb colliding with another orb, and somehow they have the ability to know where that ricochet is going to go and have it come off just right. You can have strikers that are, are they're called poachers, they're the guys who know where to be in the box for here's the rebound, here's the half-blocked shot, and I'm going to scramble it over the, the line. You can have strikers that are just pure strikers of the ball where 
you put the ball in front of them and you give them half a second to draw right or left, draw their preferred foot back, and they will hit it with power, hit it with pace, hit it with with a curl to it that takes it past the keeper, um, but just know where the edges of that goal are. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, these are the guys who score the goals. Mm. How they do it, there's so many different ways. But at the end of the day, that's the important part is that they score. Yeah, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to make it even, maybe even more reductive than you. Uh, And that is the best strikers in the world have a wild amount of overconfidence and the memory of a goldfish. Uh, I think really one of the things that makes the best strikers is the people who believe at every moment with uh, what might be an unhealthy level of belief that they are the best player on the pitch, that they will score a goal, that they can do so at any time, so they have the confidence to just do it. And then when it goes poorly for them, which it will, (laughs) uh, the best strikers in the world score something like 30% of the shots they take. Um, I don't even know that that's a true statistic. Mm. It's somewhere in that range. Uh, they just forget about it. It's just gone, right? Like, they remember their successes. They have completely forgotten their failures. And they just do it a 100,000 times over and over and over and over again. And instead of getting into those shooting positions and they go, oh, I need to get one step further because I have a 5% higher chance of shooting or higher, higher chance of my shot going in, they just shoot, right? And maybe that time they miss. And they go okay, well, next time I'm going to take it one more step further. And then that time it goes in. So they do that again. And they do that again. And then finally they meet a defender who can read that position and they block that shot off and they go, oh, well, I need to score in a different way. So they do something else. And you watch these kids come up who are these you know, pure striking talents and they just have no fear of taking the shot. right? They have no fear of, they back themselves and they have no fear of missing in front of their coaches. They have no fear of, of missing in front of their friends and family because they know every shot they take, as long as it their miss doesn't affect them, they know that they're just going to stand right back up and do it again. And yes, you get generational talents, people who for one reason or another just score goals because they have this, you know, figure or this, this physical ability that is, is given to them. Most of the best strikers in the world are the ones that just have the confidence to take the shot. They learn from it when it goes in. They learn from it when it doesn't. And when it doesn't go in, they've already forgotten about it, and they're <laughs> on to the next one. I think that is is where I sit on strikers. Do you feel like there's anything else we should attack on this, Justin? Hey, attack. I'm making puns. Uh, y- you should be groaning. No, I mean, I think that's a great answer. And, and I do want to mention to our listeners that this is a segment that we're going to continue in the future. It's a segment that we're occasionally going to have in the podcast. It's also a segment you're going to see a lot from us on social media. Uh, if you've got questions, if you want something answered, if you want our opinion on a particular topic, please reach out to us. Let us know. Hit us up on social media. Uh, we're at the underscore crown, the underscore cast on Instagram and the underscore crown cast on Twitter. Yep. Uh, You can reach out to us and ask your questions, and hopefully we will hear from some of you. Uh, But right now, we want to say thank you to Christian. Christian, one, thank you for keeping these cool robots going. And two, thank you for coming on and talking to us. No problem. I hope I can see you guys again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we go ahead and move it along. And do you want to do the preview for us? Yeah. Josh? Uh, Josh, unfortunately, could not be here, but did send copious amounts of notes, which we are very appreciative of. 
Uh, and uh, so we're going to take a look at this weekend's opponents, the New York Red Bull. Um, so the, the Red Bull uh, in four matches, I think one win, uh, two losses and a draw, I think. Um, they have a new DP, uh, Dante Van Zier. Um, he could be the most expensive signing in New York Red Bull history. They have a little bit more history than we do, uh, but he's about $5.3 million with, uh, with add-ons if he reaches all of his goals. Uh, he joined from the Belgian League. Uh, he's only 24 years old but made 73 appearances in the Belgian top division. Um, that's a pretty good league, and at the, operating at the top level is operating, I think, a little bit above MLS average. Yeah, those Belgian guys... They're pretty decent at pretty, football. Pretty good at the football. Um, 73 appearances, 71 of them starts, 42 goals in 73 appearances, 17 assists. He contributes a lot. Uh, scored 19 goals in the 2020-2021 season. Uh, four of those were PKs, which we know Josh loves to throw out. Um, this is a counter team. This is a transition team. Um, they have a little bit better possession so far this season, about 47% per match. But trend in MLS this season is the team with the lower per possession percentage takes the win. Worked for us this weekend. This is the first match we haven't had more of the ball when we beat Orlando. So we're going to have to be very careful in those counter moments, in those transition moments that you talked about earlier, because they can bite us. Now, some potential good news. Never want to celebrate an injury. But Lewis Morgan, um, 14 goals for New York Red Bull last season, three assists. He missed the last game and was not in training earlier this week. He could potentially miss this one. We're not sure about that. Corey Burke is a big offseason signing of theirs from Philly, uh, 31. He made 93 appearances over five seasons with Philly. Um, about half a goal per 90 minutes. That's really great. Um, better news He's been called up to Jamaica for the international window, and it looks like he will not be available. Um, Caceres, their central attacking midfielder, who is also very dangerous and very young at only 23, has been called up by Venezuela and will not be available based on the information on, on MLS.com. Um, their, their other DP, though, Luquinius, is uh, another dangerous attacker. Um, I guess what I'm getting at is, especially if Morgan plays with Lukinius, with Van Zier, um, they have more prongs where they can attack Charlotte than Orlando did, which was really just Facundo Torres. Yeah. Um, that means that we need to be more stable. We need to be stronger across the entire defensive line. Um, this is also a team, and Josh calls this out very explicitly, this is a team that will punish bad midfield play, bad turnovers, or sloppy press. They'll beat the press with some of their passing uh, in that transition game if you, if you aren't crisp and clean with your positioning. Uh, you know, I think one of the things you point out there, and Josh points out there, and again, all credit to Josh, who usually does this, um, but this is a team that has threat. And it's a team that likes to rely on their threat and when things don't go right they make fouls there is a there's an element of the dark arts uh about uh nycfc or nine uh, about new york red bulls and well, maybe there's an element of the dark arts about them too but 
New York Red Bulls is known for going into tackles hard and uh, falling over hard. <laughs> is, is that is that they, wrong of me to say? No, they like appealing to the official. Um, this is one of those teams, like we were talking to Christian, one of the teams that makes people dislike soccer because I do think they go over too easily. Yeah, it's going to be something how we manage the official, mm-hmm. uh, how we manage our transitions. I think that, you know, when we look into, we'll move on here to, to my segment of what I'm going to be watching for this game. My stuff to watch is I'm going to be watching the right back. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I'm going to be watching which right back we play. Could be Jalen Lindsay. Could be Nathan Byrne. Could be Harrison Awful. Could be Shaquille O'Neal. We are going to have the positioning of the right back be really critical. And this is mostly on Latanzio, mm-hmm. right? Latanzio has the right, as the manager, to pick any one of those three options because Shaquille O'Neal does not actually play for us. Pablo Cisniega starting right back. What do you think? <laughs> You know what? Wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> we know he has a defensive mindset. How about that? Uh, he has the right to pick any of these options, and he is going to look at that person and say, I want you here, right? You are pri- probably primarily a defensive player for this game. I want you to stand here. And unless that guy just goes off the rails, we are going to see, hopefully a system where the right back's positioning is Christian Latanzio's decision and how that decision plays out for Christian Latanzio as well as his team. I think it's going to be critical. I think if it's Nathan Byrne, it probably needs to be deeper. I think if it's Jalen Lindsay, it probably needs to be a little higher up the field to present some counter threat. Uh, but that is what I will be watching, and you will definitely hear a report from me on that in the next one because I think it's going to matter a lot. Thoughts on the right back? No, I mean, I, I think you're right. I want to see Jalen there. But I do have concern, given the attacking threat that New York Red Bull present, that Nathan Byrne is the more reliable option in defense. Um, As we move into the quick news roundup, I kind of want to bridge topic here because there is a news report. There's a piece we've got to talk about. Ashley Westwood picked up a knock, muscle injury against Orlando, had to leave the game. It looks like he's not going to be available for Saturday. Given that, There is a definite lineup change coming. Another piece of news, Karol Swiderski is with Poland for international duty and will not be available for this match. Mm -hmm. Those pieces together mean there is a spot in the midfield that does not have an obvious, well, this is the guy who's been there before, sort of who takes over Ashley Westwood's spot and what does the midfield three kind of look like against New York, in your opinion? Oh, so do you want who I think it's going to be, or do I, do you want who I think it should be? I want to know who you think it's going to be. I'll be honest with you. I think it might be Chris Haggard. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very serious. I think it might be Chris Haggard. I think that Ashley Westwood is expected to fill a role that is both offensive and defensive. Uh, I think he's expected to hold a defensive shape in the midfield, and I don't think that guy is Nuno Santos. I think Nuno is a free-moving attacking player who happens to work well in the center of the pitch, not on the wings. Although he could be good on the wings too. He's probably better on the left, let's be (laughs) honest. Uh, I don't think that guy's Ben Bender. I think that if you gave Ben Bender a really strong defensive partner in there, he could be very dangerous 
in a moving forward way. And maybe you could say that if if we're going to be in a low block, having another long key passer like Bender in the position where we would have been expecting uh, Westwood to potentially give us that out ball over the top would be smart. But I have a, a feeling Hager might get a call purely for his roundedness, for his ability hmm. to kind of do anything. What do you think about that? I like the shout. I, I personally, I love Chris Haggart. I think that he has a ton of talent, and I think that he is really just looking for the opportunity to show it off. I think he's a great player. I think that it's Nuno who gets the start in the midfield, and I don't think that he will be expected to play as a 10. I think that you're going to see Nuno, Bronico, and Jones in the midfield together, and I think that you're going to see Nuno occupy sort of the right inside channel space as an 8, and yep. you're going to see Brandt occupy the, the left inside left eight, channel yeah. as an eight. And so we're going to play a six and two eights in that midfield three. And then it's probably you, going you to be. You know me, Justin. One of them is going to be staggered. <laughs> one of them is going to be staggered high and one of them is going to be staggered low. Sure. And, and it's so it's gonna... going to be Brandt staggered low and Nuno staggered high in that. I like it better than Andre back in as a pure 10. Yeah, so do I. Um, because I think that our team if we play around Capetti, if we play around those strengths, our team is better with a couple of eights looking to break. Also, probably not a great look that I didn't even consider Andre Shinichi. <laughs> um, probably not a, a great talk about him that he didn't even come up in my thought process there. Yeah. Well, um, well uh, on to the next, you want to go ahead and do our fire-off news? Yeah, uh, you just quick news roundup. Want to recognize some people for being recognized by the uh, the national media and MLS.com. Uh, Christian Latanzio was manager for the Team of the Week. Uh, Harrison Offal gets the start at the left-back spot for Team of the Week. Uh, great for both of them. Kerwin Vargas was recognized as one of the five uh, MLS Young Players of the Week, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, we've touched a little bit on Swiderski being missing because of the international call-up. He's already with the Poland squad. We wish him uh, all the best in those matches. We hope he comes back healthy. Uh, we hope he gets some goals in international play and maybe find some of that confidence again. Um, Ashley Westwood's likely out for Saturday. We have mentioned that because of that muscle strain. We haven't heard any more details about the length of that injury. Uh, he did not look happy when he went down. Um, he picked up the knock, tried to play through it, and then went down, which is in some ways more concerning for me as a, as a soccer fan. That feels like it could be something longer. Um, Bill Tuiloma missed practice today. Um, no word yet on what that status looks like, how long he could be out, if there's any risk of him being out. I think if he's out for this weekend, it's probably Jan Sobitsinski. I'm, I'm going to give you the hot take. No, uh, it's not. I, okay. Tommy Diop. <laughs> it's going to happen. I, I, You know what's funny is I don't have anything against Jan Zobosinski. I think he's a great, very solid defender. He just, for some reason, he's never the guy who comes to my mind. So, Tommy well, Diop, we'll, get you a shot. We'll have to see. Uh, and then uh, there is a big match this Saturday. Obviously, New York Red Bull here in Charlotte. There's a big match this Sunday. Crown Legacy kick off their season at the Matthews Sportsplex. Uh, they, they kick off their season this Sunday. I think the match is at 3 o'clock. Um, very excited to see them. Uh, we just got kit drop for them. They have a, a great black kit with a wild sort of zigzag pattern. Um, they've got a white kit that's nice. Yeah, that, that's a white <laughs> kit. 
Um, but uh, that'll pretty much wrap up the news. And so... That will do it. And as ever, if you have decided to take this hour and spend your time with us, we love you. And we will talk to you again after Charlotte FC go and take their next second three points? Take their second three points from New York Red Bulls. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Network.com.